and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights and our episode, The Future of Brands. Throughout the pandemic, IRI has tracked store visits and basket sizes, um, what we refer to as trips and baskets. Um, People are making fewer trips to the store, but are purchasing more when they do shop. Uh, We can see weekly updates of this um, on our website, iriworldwide.com. Great resource. Um, But these bigger baskets and a shift to shopping larger store formats also indicate that shoppers are looking to fulfill more of their needs as possible during a single visit. So we're looking at less time in the store, but longer lists. It's a kind of like a race to stick to the list. Shoppers are also going online with e-commerce, including buy online, pick up in store, projected to be a silver lining um, during the pandemic. So on the surface, this looks really great for CPG brands. They're selling more product as people are eating and consuming more from home. Um, They're bringing in new buyers and lapsed buyers are returning. But how can what's happening today help brands position themselves for the future? That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, In late July, my colleagues Jennifer Polino, the Executive Vice President of Omnichannel Media at IRI, and Nishat Mehta, President of IRI Media, spoke to the American Retail Federation on this very topic. So Nishat, we're going to start with you. So purchasing behavior is really changing the CPG demand curve. We see a lot less promotion in store. Um, Brands are also pulling back on advertising, as we've seen by data shared by the large media platforms. And with shoppers spending less time in store, where and how are brands getting through to shoppers? Good question, Joan. I mean, there's a lot uh, that has happened over the course of the last few months, and I think we almost are starting to think through this as not just uh, one big consumer change, but rather almost changes that were happening in sort of the March-April timeframe, different from changes that are we're beginning to see in sort of the July timeframe. As let's face it, we've all been starting to figure out how to deal with the new normal um, as it's been five months uh, since we started having to act differently. We think a a handful of things are probably having the biggest impact on the ways in which consumers are actually changing their behavior and therefore kind of what brands need to pay attention as they think about how to interact with those consumers. So first and foremost, you alluded to it, the at-home consumption increase is here to stay, at least for the near future. Even with back to school, I think what we're seeing is as many as half of the school districts across the country Um, are going to be fully virtual. And frankly, almost every school district is in some form virtual. So that will create, even with the school season, continued increases in at-home consumption events. Um, Certainly the same can be said, maybe with different percentages around office culture. And so as a result, lunches and things that might have been, you know, eaten outside the home, certainly being consumed at home. And then restaurants continue to be coming back, but quite slowly. So Consumption remains elevated and probably will be for the next, you know, six to nine months. Um, 
we certainly see uh, that that brands have uh, therefore seen a number of new buyers to their fold. Uh, households are trying new things, and when you have increased consumption events, uh, you want variety associated with that, and that variety can come with trying brand new categories you haven't tried before, as well as simply trying new brands within the categories you typically shop. And that works both ways. It is both an opportunity for a number of brands that have seen brand new buyers to their to their fold and how you continue to make, you know, how you make new triers repeaters. Um, but it's also a significant risk in that those same brand buyers that may have been loyal to your brand in the past have actually tried competitive brands and potentially may be open to switching brands permanently, which again presents a risk to the brand. So brands need to appreciate the fact that the sort of loyal behaviors that most CPG brands have typically counted on, most of us typically do the same things over and over again, um, that's not going to be the case going forward. Now, you alluded to, to e-commerce growth. Um, I think combining that with the notion of uh, the fact that we spend less time in store but have longer shopping lists, certainly I put those two together in terms of the ways in which we've previously communicated with consumers is changing. The in-store communication is maybe not as valuable these days as it used to be because let's face it, we're not going to the store to browse. We're not going to the store to look at different options and make a decision in store. We've more often made the decision before we physically enter the store. Or again, in the e-commerce world, we're making that decision directly through the website that we're interacting with. Um, and then I think, um, you know, lastly, the, 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 the one thing for me that, that is a, a real sort of you know, something I'm, we're, we're, we're keeping an eye on across IRI is the impact of the recession. I think it is. Um, common to sort of look to, well, what's happened in the past is something that we can just rely on again. But I think this recession is actually going to be a little bit different than what we've seen in terms of the 08 recession, the 2000-2001 recession, or even going back further, in that in this particular recession, it feels less like all families, all households um, will be negatively impacted. I think we actually see a bifurcation in this particular recession. And you can point to that in a couple of areas. One, you know, anybody that works for one of the sectors that has actually benefited um, from the pandemic, for instance, the entire tech sector, as we start to move more virtually, um, they have benefited. Uh, you know, anybody that happens to own stock in those sectors financially is probably benefiting. Anyone that used to spend a decent amount of their income on disposable items like going out to eat or travel and, you know, leisure, vacations, those kinds of things. These are things that have looked wildly different over the last few months and potentially result in greater savings for these households. And obviously, all of that has to be factored against the tens of millions of people that have lost their jobs over the last few months and will, in fact, see this as a recession that impacts them very similarly to how prior recessions have impacted individuals. And so I think what that does for brands is certainly create a scenario where you can't necessarily treat the recession as a single impact to your consumers and everything shifts downstream. In fact, you've got this barbell or bifurcation where you've got to shift some of your efforts to downstream uh, impacts, or, or sorry, uh, uh, individuals or households that have moved uh, down sector. But then you also have a set of con uh, consumers that have actually moved up, uh, you know, sort of the premiumization aspect of things that, that needs to be factored in for. Right. So before I before I expand further on the bifurcation, because I think that that really leads to some different brand usage, if you will, I want to go back and just kind of clarify on the 
you know, all those new brand users, all those people coming in because of the increased consumption in the home, we've got so many more people who are looking for brands. They might be disappointed if they don't see their brands. But what are some of the risks that you identified there? Because you said, oh, there's some risks in there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So, so certainly one is I think we all have a tendency to focus on acquiring new customers and we sometimes take for granted our existing loyal customers. It's a common you know, feature across the board in everything we do. And I think this is one of those times where, again, in, in normal times, the CPG industry has been able to count on the fact that most people make the same decision over and over again, and a replenishment decision is oftentimes fulfilled with the same brand that you are, in fact, replenishing. In today's world, that is different. Uh, it's different because many of your consumers have actually tried new brands in the past, and as a result, may have discovered something that they like better than the brand that they were prior, you know, previously purchasing. Uh, and so I think that's really the, the primary risk. I think the other risk in all of this is we oftentimes do leverage historical purchase behavior as the models on which we build kind of the future. And in this particular case, again, we, you know, again, in previous situations, we've been able to rely on, hey, if I build a model based on the last 52 weeks of purchase behavior, that is a fairly good predictor of what happens going forward. And I think the world we live in now says that actually models that you've used previously probably do need to be either completely you know, blown up or in the very least, uh, accommodating uh, capability and change that we've seen over the last few months rather than anything prior to call it you know, early March. Yeah, really great point. <clears throat> and so now I want to kind of go back to um, that bifurcation of the, of the consuming population because we do have essentially a lot of have-nots right now. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of households haven't really been adversely impacted. But it speaks to me about, you know, we are in a recession and how people are defining value right now. Um, you know, to me, value might be um, how something makes my life easier. But at the same time, being in a recession with so many households unemployed, um, value might be strictly on price. So, can we talk a little bit about how different brands are working through value at this at this point with those different audiences? As we think about um, sort of you know value, I think there's a there's a handful of things that we can think about here, right? So one, um, at the end of the day, the consumer still wants their needs to be met. Um, now those needs are quite a bit different today than they might have been a few months ago. Before it might have been a quick, efficient. A uh, way to get calories, a, a, a quick way to feed, you know, make a, a a quick meal for my kids for dinner. Whereas now, again, we live in a world where people are spending more time at home. Uh, that home is again many more consumption occasions, and as a result, now the the use case for the consumer may be more focused on how do I actually find an occasion to spend more time with my family? How do I focus more on the health aspect rather than the convenience aspect? And so. I don't, you know, I think brands should not lose sight of the fact that they still need to focus on products uh, that are meeting the needs of their consumer in a world where those needs have widely shifted, wildly shifted over the last few months. I do also believe, though, that there is a, um, a, a cost component to this. I think the notion of needing to potentially reduce the uh, assortment that you have in store, allowing you to then potentially get economies of scale that bring down the actual cost of the items that you used to sell into, into store. 
I think you certainly have uh, the uh, increases in private label. We've seen anywhere from 10 to 20% increases week over or year over year over the course of the last few months. Um, and, you know, private label is oftentimes a, a rush to focus on lower priced items and brands need to be able to compete with that, again, oftentimes on price. Uh, and so I think those are, again, two examples where you need to continue to differentiate your products, again, focused primarily on uh, the, the needs of the consumer and how those have changed, while also recognizing that you are going to be uh, getting some additional competition uh, from, from private label brands in particular that have moved downstream. That's great. So I, actually, Jennifer, I want to turn to you because yes. Nishat was just saying is, you know, essentially a lot of stores or a lot of manufacturers might be looking to reduce assortment to, to get those products on shelves. We've seen that has been a huge focus. And then, you know, it's kind of scaling back on a lot of promotions. So many feel they don't really have to, you know, they've got buyers. Why would CPGs think that, you know, it's okay not to advertise right now? Sure. I, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we had seen, you know, the, the CPGs in and of itself, you know, nobody was prepared for for this and uh, nobody was prepared, you know, specifically, you know, for that panic buying that had, had happened. And, um, you know, the CPG teams and the brand teams had to really wrap their heads around about, you know, what they were already doing um, in the marketplace, what they were advertising, and then what was actually happening in store and, you know, trying to bring these pieces together. And um, with the, the panic buying, you saw a number of um, you know brands that you know immediately became out of stock. The 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 brands team had to ramp up production. Part of that uh, ability to ramp up production, it, it, you know, as quickly as possible to keep the lines running, is um, you know uh, eliminating changeover and eliminating changeover of you know different flavors or you know different types and sizes. Um, you know has to be um, eliminated so that they can just get enough product on. On shelf, and so one of the the the, the challenges when the the clients were like, how do we, you know, continue to talk to our consumers about our products, um, you know, to keep them top of mind, um, their first portion of, you know, their top of mind was, I, I don't really want to try to drive any more or create any more demand um, in the marketplace because we're just focused right now on getting products to the shelf um, and uh, making sure that we can fulfill, you know, uh, you know, some of the retailers um, needs, uh, you know, where products are. Um, and availability. So there was a lot of challenges there. So, you know, efforts became not on focus on, you know, what to advertise, but pooling that advertising, um, you know, to help not ensue demand, but also to help readjust what they should be advertising. So that was one. The other area was that, you know, if, if you, you did have products, I mean, you, you, there's a little bit of, um, you know, this mentality of, well, they're buying it anyway, because of, you know, people will have all these stay at home directives. So they're buying it anyway, then why do I need to advertise there, you know, sometimes becomes that mentality, I will tell you why that is not the right mentality (laughs) after um, in a second. Um, But just in general, that is, um, that was one of the other reasons, right, and like trying to wrap their heads around, you know, what people were actually buying. Um, And then, 
you know, along those same lines of the fact that, can, that that companies were figuring out what they should be putting on shelf, they also had a lot of different expenditures um, for, you know, for their employees. There were, you know, brands and, you know, products and just overall categories that were simply, you know, uh, just... Uh, taken back by all of the demand and, you know, the emptiness of the shelves for their particular products because people were stocking up. And so um, there were, you know, new expenses like hazard pay for workers or, you know, additional overtime and just actually, you know, to using those dollars to actually get people to help fill that supply. And then, of course, you know, the new any additional improved um, regulations or new cleaning protocols that needed to be instilled in, in those. So there was additional expenses that, you know, were being shifted along, you know, along the P&L. And then finally, um, when you think about it, um, it was such a challenging time about, you know, people thinking about how their whole lives are being uprooted and advertising drives a powerful message and brands denote, you know, like people denote a brand with that message, you know, they have that high association with it. And brands were not sure at, you know, a a period of time of what they should be messaging to consumers? Would they be alienating them? Um, You know, uh, like, is this sending the right message? Uh, You know, a good example was, um, you know, at first, the one of the very first companies that I heard that removed um, or changed their advertising against their messaging was Hershey's. Um, They had advertising advertising on air that was, uh, you know, people getting together and they were, you know, they were hugging um, and they removed that, that kind of that, that more people interaction for a more social distanced um, advertisement um, that had people more interacting with the product rather than, you know, each other in in a more respectful manner um, of the new social distancing, um, you know, protocols. Yeah, I think we all saw a lot of those commercials. Um, I mean, Hershey aside, we did see way too many commercials of, oh, no, this is really this is really a challenging time, and I think that we just didn't need that many of those messages. Yeah. They they they, they end up over rotating on them. It was funny. I was um, talking to my sister in law one day, and she has a son who's I think fifteen. And you know, there were several commercials that kept coming on air about you know whatever it might be, you know, food, different types of items, and it had nothing to do with the actual product. And he was like, "This has nothing to do with." anything on the actual product. I mean, and so you have to think about your audience as well. And while that message is, you know, a strong message overall that, you know, we're supporting our workers, but it, it got, you know, there's a point of saturation for it. And, you know, that that is always of concern with, you know, with with brands and, you know, their marketing and the advertising that they want to get uh, to to consumers. So it is, I think, a, a good blend of empathy with, you know, staying on point. But um, talk us through a little bit, and you alluded to this, like, why should companies, why should brands be advertising right now? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's so important. I mean, Nishat mentioned it and we we know, I mean, as an ex-marketer, I mean, there would never be a time, I mean, that you would you know, be able to get the amount of new buyers trialing your product any other time. You couldn't pay for the number of new buyers, um, you know, in an effective way that came into to your brand um, versus during this time. So, you know, t- making sure that you were able to gather when you have this ability that you're gathering all of these new buyers to your brand, you, of course, want to be able to stay connected with these shoppers. And if they, you know, are trialing it, you want to make sure that you are connecting with them, making sure that they understand the benefits um, and, uh, you know, keeping them within your portfolio because they're very hard to get. And normally it's a very expensive, uh, you know, individual to acquire and it's very expensive to acquire a new buyer. Um, On the other hand is that if you don't connect with them within a, a, a short window of time, you actually lose their interest. So there's a decay rate of about a 50% loss in you know, new buyers over time if you're not connecting with them. There's a higher risk, right? Because they, um, they don't have that connectivity with you. Right. So um, so I think that is one area, right, where you think about trial. Trial is that, you know, a great opportunity. You, you have the trial. Now you need to connect with them, keep them in your franchise. And a the opposite almost uh, of trial is making sure that you keep your loyal um, customers. Right. There is that risk of losing your loyal shoppers when their loyalties are be, being tested under you know, the current circumstances. So they go to the shelf, the, their normal product isn't there. They pick something else up. They're trying a new product or a new, you know, a new brand um, of, of a product. And, oh, by the way, they like it. And, you know, maybe it was less expensive or, you know, there are many reasons why that, uh, you know, they like the benefits of it. And so you have that risk of losing, um, you know, consumers as well. And so advertising is important to remind the consumers of why, in fact, they are choosing your brand in the first place. Um, the, the, the other area is that, you know, when you're thinking about building those relationships, um, the opportunity is that, you know, we, we talked about the trial, we talked about the loyalists. And one of the things you kind of look to history to, to see if that, you know, there is any, you know, information that can help you along the lines of, you know, why should I keep advertising? And, you know, there has been extensive research from the advertising research foundation, looking at numerous recessions in the past, um, and how those brands advertised during the economic downturn. And what they had found was that those brands that continue to advertise during economic upheaval and downturn, that they found that those brands that, you know, consistently advertised, they were seeing, you know, after about a year, they were seeing, you know, sales and increased support of about 35% increases into their, their sales of their of those brands. And so it's really important, um, you know, to continue to, you know, move along that path. And why is that? It was because it's a couple of reasons when 
you know, these brands um, uh, see this opportunity in, in during economic downturns, and especially in this particular case, we had media becoming less expensive in a lot of areas. And it became less expensive in a lot of areas because there were a number of very high profile, high spender categories or, you know, industries that had to pull out. Um, they, they didn't have just a demand issue, right? They, um, they, they are, they had also too just the fact that they didn't have the any availability um, hotels entertainment right there you know those were pretty much um, you know gone by the wayside during the you know a, a good period of that pandemic so they didn't have any ability to advertise and so media became a bit less expensive especially on the digital side um, and with that on the digital side not only are there's the ability to now um, capitalize on the fact that media is a little bit less expensive, but the fact that it is digital and you have all of the ability now in the world to personalize your messaging and capture um, those consumers by a larger share of voice where your others wouldn't be, um, where others might not be um, advertising during that time. So speed of, of course, you know, um, as almost any time speed is of utmost importance, but taking advantage of the fact that, you know, there was lower media um, spending and the fact that you could advertise, um, you know, to your, the right consumers, um, knowing that they were either new buyers or loyalists, what is really an important opportunity. So you've, you're stating the case definitely for why advertising should continue, but we're at kind of a weird point in time. Um, you know, we've got a recession, we have a pandemic, we have some other issues. How are those things impacting some of the marketing messages or influencing some of the marketing messages that should be getting out there? Yeah, I think I'll take that one. I, you know, I think there's there's a, a really interesting sort of way to think about the the, the health aspect of, of this particular crisis. And I, I think I, I live in New York. Um, you know, we certainly had a, a fairly significant challenge early on in the pandemic in, you know, March and April. Um, I think other parts of the country, unfortunately, are now going through some of that as well. And as much as, you know, the media, the, the sort of the national discourse is focused on uh, individuals not agreeing with the kind of the, the general theses around, you know, mask wearing and things like that. Um, survey after survey shows that the vast majority of Americans actually do believe in things like wearing masks. And let's ask ourselves the question, why do masks help? They help not just me, but they help you as well. And I think that's something that um, New York felt very different kind of, you know, April and May as we were starting to, to get better in that, there was this sense that we are all in this together and that things that I do, I do because they aren't just meant for me, but because they help the community around me. I think if you've seen, um, you know, the, the, the ways in which people are now beginning to interact with brands, certainly the retail brands, you know, grocery stores and things like that, um, you know, grocery workers are, are, are being seen as frontline workers just as healthcare workers were a few months ago and, and, and continue to be. And I think a lot of that is this feeling that if you serve the community, that is what we all need more of in these times. And that's really what I think the health aspect has added to the sort of the financial crisis that we are obviously you know, going through as well. 
And I think that has impact on the way in which brands actually communicate to, me- to their, their messaging, that the messaging is now as much focused on the importance of your brand and the service your brand can provide to the individual as it is on the service that your brand can provide to the overall community. And I think that's where you start to see things like, you know, IRI put out some research uh, just recently, I think a couple of weeks ago with NYU around uh, sustainability. And again, where the natural, the, the, the natural you know, way of thinking about things might be in a, in a state of economic concern where millions of, you know, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs, they're going to be less focused on worrying about the future. They're focused on how do I get food on the table tomorrow? How do I pay rent next month? Whereas in fact, what we saw was issues like sustainability are actually a bigger issue for consumers now, slightly bigger than they were even a year ago. And so I think um, seeing things like that lead me to believe that the pandemic has actually increased our concerns about how we provide for the future, how we, 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 we work with our, you know, how we make our communities better. Uh, and that to me is a, is a fairly significant difference from how we've potentially seen other recessions in the past. You shot to that point, you know, CEOs and brands are really listening to their employees and the American public about, um, you know, responsibility. You know, 63% um, Americans believe that CEOs have that responsibility to take a stand on, you know, important social issues, especially if the issues are related to views of into action via supportive corporate policies that can really be effective, right? And, um, We have a number of examples, I think, from, you know, companies where they have taken bold uh, stands. Of course, it can be a bit risky, but, um, you know, those stands in in these particular cases um, really, you know, uh, resonated with with consumers. And, um, you know, some of these, when they have done that, they've risked, you know, revenue for social and community statements. And basically they felt that that longer term view would be beneficial to everyone. And you see it, you know, in a lot of the companies that, um, you know, took these bold stands like CBS health, you know, they stopped selling cigarettes, right. Because um, it was for the betterment of the community and, you know, in their beliefs. And if they're going to be a health brand, they decided that, you know, they shouldn't be selling, you know, this very unhealthy, you know, uh, product, um, uh, you know, Chobani, you know, started um, hiring and, you know, uh, promoting, you know, uh, hiring refugees. And so these are things that, you know, were very important to, um, you know, the, the companies and the brands and, uh, you know, the a public, I think, um, you know, rather than had any backlash off of it, really embraced it. I will just add one thing to that, Jennifer, because I think your point is a great one. Um, connecting this back to Joan, your concerns around kind of when when would we go too far? When could a brand potentially go too far? And I think you know it becomes important to make sure that the messaging is still within your brand. Um, and I think we have you know examples of people doing things the wrong way, where they focus very much on saying the right things, but then their behaviors don't necessarily support that. Um, I, I think a different approach or the, you know, the opposite side of that would be, I, I look at a company like, like Macy's, right? Where Macy's, you know, all of us during the, you know, March, April, May timeframe, were very much focused on messaging around thanking uh, healthcare workers, frontline workers, et cetera. Macy's connected it to their Thanksgiving parade. And so you, you have this notion of Thanksgiving as a time where we actually give thanks, Macy's being a significant um, sort of a, a brand that's very connected to Thanksgiving because of their support of the holiday, um, the beginning of Black Friday, et cetera. 
And here they were actually running a series of television commercials that were focused on, well, giving thanks now truly means giving thanks to healthcare workers and other frontline workers. And I think that was a very good way of staying on brand, staying, you know, in a way that was very much connected to the Macy's brand, but also, uh, you know, using that to, uh, to deliver the, the sort of the broader community message. I do have a crying baby in the background. So I, don't know. <laughs> I really like that notion of making the connection of what makes sense for your brand, but taking a stand. And as Jennifer mentioned, you know, that, that could carry a lot of risk with it. So do you have some other tips on what that looks like, what the, what the right approach is? Yeah, I, you know, it, it is, it is like Nisha had said, you know, it is, you know, you have to make sure that it is connected to your brand. It has to feel authentic, um, you know, period. And, um, you know, and a lot of that is because of what uh, our the generations are also demanding, you know, Gen Z, for instance, right, they, you know, authenticity and brand values are more important to them, you know, than ever. And, and I think that it's more important to, you know, other generations, you know, all, all generations as well, you know, as we continue down this path, but, you know, that generation in particularly feels that, um, it's a must focus on issues that are important to them. And they're really willing to reward those brands who are offering them that sense of belonging, that personalization, that individualism, you know, that they desire. And it's good that brands, you know, can try to convey, you know, that portion of it, you know, within their, um, within their point of, within their points of difference or their benefits. You know, you had also mentioned, Jennifer, earlier on, that there are so many platforms, there's so many digital um, layers that you can really go to the consumer in the way that they want to go to. So how does that mm -hmm. kind of empower or impact the ability to take a stand and direct the right message to that right audience? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in a, you know, we're in a fantastic place, you know, where technology has merged, you know, with advertising and messaging and that advertising is, you know, pretty much a hundred percent addressable, um, you know, these days. And you can, you can, you know, in that way you get the most, you can figure your most valuable consumers. Um, they're more easy identifiable and you can target them with you know a personalized message through all of those different mediums and those personalized messages can be related to sustainability if you are following and understanding your insights about your consumers say they you know we see that they're buying only um, reusable you know pro products that have reusable packaging or are eco-friendly you know a sustainability message it will you know might be the right piece for them um, even, um, you know, individuals who are thinking more about immunity and health support, um, you, you can find individuals and send them a message about, you know, you know, self-care and self-protection. Um, that's the way in which, right, that you, um, you know, is, is the holy grail, right, of... <clears throat> Of connecting directly to them because you know what better i mean advertising is good right i mean it is informative it is beneficial to to you as a as a as an individual and um the more you make it relevant for consumers 
the more valuable it you know becomes and the way that it becomes more valuable is to make it personal through these mediums that you can address these individuals but at the same time we see people or people are watching television um much more than they were pre-pandemic so does that mean a return to mass marketing as well i mean are there messages that still can get through on that platform Absolutely. And guess what? TV is addressable too uh, these days. So that is, that's really, uh, you know, a great, a great piece um, of information. We have a lot of addressable television um, in the market with knowledge about, you know, set top box information, as well as even linear can be um, linear television can be adjusted to help even personalize more of that mass scale, right? It's personalization at mass. um, But you know, where more you can focus on your brand your brand message, getting to the right programs or day parts um, by using and understanding what those individuals are watching or more apt to watch in that same, in and by at the same time. Perfect. So in kind of like going into our last topic of the day, you know, I really wanted to focus more on the future and what's to come. I know Nisha, you had earlier said, you know, don't take your foot off that innovation gas pedal. Um, But what does the future hold for brands and what are some of the things that, that they need to take into consideration? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, none of us know what next week will bring. Um, That's maybe a cliche months ago. It's, I think we've, we've experienced it over the last few months and and will for the next few. Um, I think that, for me, rather than focusing on um, what you know, what uh, what a brand will do, knowing that whatever I say now is outdated next week, I think it's more about how you figure out what to do um, that becomes important. And one of the things we talk a lot about internally is the notion of panels and the importance of panels, the importance of getting quality. Um, not just quantity and understanding why people are answering questions the way they are, because getting sort of behind the actual data can oftentimes help you understand what's going on. We also talk about the other end of the spectrum. We oftentimes refer to them internally as big data panels. Uh, And these are more things like, you know, loyalty card data that might, you know, generate hundreds of millions of data points rather than a few hundred thousand. Um, Because the idea of the consumer is, is no longer one or five or 10 different personas, but it's, it's tens of thousands or, or millions of personas because every single individual has responded to the pandemic slightly differently. And so to me, as you start to think about what to do in the future, whether that's product innovation, messaging innovation, media and, and you know, mixed channel innovation, um, listen to the consumer more so than you ever have before, knowing that it isn't one single consumer and use data, both qualitative and quantitative, actual data, deterministic data, to better understand how consumers are shifting from week to week, month to month, and sort of, you know, pandemic, uh, you know, stage to pandemic stage. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to add on to that, Nisha, I totally agree um, on that point. And while it's so important, you know, to use that data, you have to look at it, you know, you have to be 
like thinking about it, not only in a flexible manner, but the speed in which you have to look at that information to help optimize um, is, um, you know, more important than ever. Because when we do have, when there are crises, the speed of change becomes a lot faster because there are increments of change that can, um, you know, instead of a smooth ride, right? Like the 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 volatility is a lot different from a, from a standpoint of change. So. You know, you know, keeping a pulse on what um, you're doing, and those brands, uh, you know, also too have to have a mentality of, you know, everything I'm going to do, half of it's going to fail, but I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to learn really quick from it, and um, you know, make the other stick. So, you know, getting to perfect in these times doesn't, you know, doesn't really give you an advantage, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, getting, you know, 80% of the way there, if you learn, you know, if it's a success, you know, great. If it's also too not a success, what did you learn to improve to the, the next decision that you make? Um, so thank you so much for your time, both of you. I just want to kind of recap on some of the key things that I heard from you today. Um, and starting off with, you know, especially in this um, time, you know, as we move to a new normal, we're still seeing a lot of increase in new buyers, which is great, but the behavior is really unpredictable. And especially as we're in a recession, um, we've got a bifurcation of the population where some are just trying to make themselves, you know, more comfortable and others are trying to feed themselves. The perception of value is really going to shift a lot. Um, and it certainly already, it holds great opportunity for private brands, private labels. Um, so national brands really have to be aware of that and don't take your foot off that gas for innovation. Um, along another part of innovation is marketing and advertising. And there's certainly some opportunities to take advantage of that expanded audience and build relationships with them. At the same time, you need to support the loyal shoppers you already have. And the good news is that in today's marketplace, um, with so many different platforms, um, there's, such, there's ways to personalize um, these messages for shoppers. Um, because we are in um, some of the messages that we're seeing right now are bridging that gap between the different crises that we're in. Um, Nishad is kind of keen on seeing some of those messages of supporting the community. We're all in this together. Um, but at the same time, it has to be relevant for your brand. So authenticity here is, is the name of the game. And then um, we're seeing how technology plays into this, particularly with um, advertising and messaging, with everything being like 100% addressable, um, being able to know who your audience is, that even though you don't have a crystal ball for the future, um, it is possible to tap into what consumers consumer behavior is, what consumer sentiment is, and position your your products, your product innovation, and your messaging innovation based on what you're hearing and learning from those consumers. And again, thanks to technology, we can really optimize a lot of that information in real time. There's speed is a, a critical element right now, and even if you don't get it completely right, either you still have a success. Or you can learn and quickly move on. Um, so with that, uh, Jennifer and Nishat, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Stay safe.
Yes. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.